from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And with me today is Nick Gallen, who is the editor-in-chief of Marijuana Retail Report and a frequent contributor and friend of Green Entrepreneur and the podcast. How you doing, Nick? Doing very well, John. How are you doing? Good, man. Well, I'm really excited about this interview. You were able to get a legend on the phone, Tommy Chong, the comedian, the icon, and the cannabis entrepreneur. He has made yes. quite a good living off of uh, his um, cannabis line. And tell us a little bit, give us a little preview taste of this interview. What was it like interviewing this guy? I mean, yeah, 50 year plus icon, legend in the cannabis industry, both plant touching and celery, also one of the best comedians in the business. We talked about his, his entire life legacy in the industry from being arrested as part of Operation Pipe, being the only person to go to prison as, operate, uh, as part of Operation Pipe Dreams, as well as, you know, doing all the movies during the 70s, Up in Smoke, all the stuff that we grew up kind of idolizing as the funniest comedy available to our particular enjoyments. Just a great guy. They were pioneers in sort of like weed humor. Did he make you laugh at all? He made me laugh, but more than anything, he just made me revere, right? It's yeah. somebody who has been so prolific in both the comedy scene in the entertainment space you know as well as cannabis i mean this is somebody who has smoked with the beatles i mean somebody that Crazy. has hung out in just about every single country in the world and smoked cannabis i mean somebody that has so many stories it was just it was just an incredibly terrific pleasure to yeah. be able to sit down and just download his uh, thoughts in all of his years in cannabis it's just a true gentleman in the space yeah. Well, I really enjoyed listening to this. I'm sure you guys will too. So without further ado, I bring you Nick's interview with Tommy Chong. Legend in the industry, Tommy Chong. Thank you again so much for being willing to take the time to talk to us today. Obviously, this has got to be your busiest week of the year. I got to ask right off the gate, how was your 420? It was hectic. It was hectic. I realized, you know, I'm trying to retire, but I think I told Cheech, you know, I said, Let's just work one day a week, one day a year, I mean, and that'll be on 420. That's a <laughs> we, great day to do it. We never did so much work in our life. <laughs> we were signing everything from morning to noon or morning to night almost. And then uh, we did meeting greets. And then we, uh, yeah, and everybody wanted to get high with us. So naturally, <laughs> we had to, you know, accommodate them and their wishes. It's 420. You know, what are you going to say? Exactly. So, uh, so we got high, and uh, and I'm still on a high. And you know what I found out is that you can smoke pot all day, and, and the next day you feel just as good as ever. You know, so that's the one benefit to cannabis versus alcohol, right? Alcohol, you have a hangover, you feel oh, terrible the next day. You know? Yeah, well, alcohol is poison. I mean, it it is classified as a poison. You can die from alcohol poisoning. And yeah, yeah, no alcohol. I mean, you know, the state of euphoria that you get into with alcohol is a near-death experience. I don't know if you knew that. I but, didn't know. Uh, no, I, I mean, but, I do know that getting drunk is, you know, your, your, your liver processing of the poison, literally. Yeah, and it's a near-death experience. Uh, see, ether. Remember, they used to use ether to put you up for operations? Mm -hmm. 
Well, ether is alcohol. It's condensed. And what they do when they use ether to put you out, they don't use it anymore. But when they used to use it, that's why the anesthesiologist would monitor your heartbeat and monitor your, your vital signs. And what it was, they had to take you as close to death as they could so you could be operated on without feeling anything. But you had to have that guy there just in the case, you know, <laughs> he went over the line. And a lot of people have died on the operating table because of the uh, ether, not because of uh, the operation. So I learned all this in, in prison. They made me take uh, alcohol, or, uh, you know, what do you call it? Drug re- what do you call it? Drug, drug course. Drug counseling. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I learned a lot, man. I loved that course. I, I, I was one of the best students there. I well, paid and, attention. And I got to ask, I mean, that was one of the most prolific events kind of in the cannabis industry was Operation Pipe Dreams and you being kind of the only person that went to prison for it. I'm curious, when you finally got the sentence in order to make sure that you were keeping your wife Shelby and your son Paris safe, what was going through your head? Like, why the hell am I the only one going to jail? No, you know, you don't ask questions. What you do is it's a survival thing. The first thing you do is... First of all, you go into denial. You say, they're not going to put me in jail for a bong. Come right. on. You know, what is this? Ever. All the years of smoking illegal <laughs> substances, I never, <laughs> ever got scared of being caught with a bong or a pipe or there was nothing in it. And so when it happened, I was in denial. And then when the reality hit, then I started <laughs> I, I started trying to weasel my way out like anybody else would. <laughs> The only thing I couldn't do was uh, turn on my family, you know, because that was definitely a no-go. <laughs> because right, I right. couldn't see myself visiting them in jail. I could see them visiting me in jail in a heartbeat. So that's one of the reasons I took it. But I'm no hero. I begged and groveled like everybody else. <laughs> my lawyers knew that I was going to go to jail. And they still charged me the full amount. But you know what? I'm going to uh, explore when they legalize it. I'm going to explore the possibilities of suing to get my money back. They confiscated money that wasn't drug-related at all because I was uh, set up the way I was set up. They actually took money that didn't belong to them in the form of a... I want damages, too, because I had to pay lawyers, you know, and, and I had to... And they fined me, uh, uh, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, as well as the jail sentence. And so I'm going to see if I can't get that back. Well, and they should give it to you back. And not only that, they should give you a full expungement at that point. I mean, you being the you know person who literally went to jail for glass. I mean, when you're looking at the industry today versus the industry back then versus the industry, say, when you were filming, say, you know, up in smoke or something back in the 70s, like, are you happy to see where the industry is going? Are you kind of disheveled about it? Like when you're looking at where we're headed towards, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm a born optimist to the point that it bugs the hell out of people, <laughs> especially <laughs> especially Cheech. I've always loved uh, how we were doing it, period. You know what I loved? I loved the fact that it pot really stopped the Vietnam War. Eventually, it, it woke everybody up. And I love what's going on now. I really do. And the little missteps, you know, they're trying to, uh, first of all, they're trying to make money off it with the taxes. and ridiculous taxes. And I've told dispensary owners and all that, jump through the hoops. You got no other choice. 
do what you got to do. Because in the end, when they legalize it federally, all those restrictions will go out the window and uh, we'll be able to do what we used to do. It's very simple. You plant it, you grow it, you harvest it, you smoke it. Simple. Yeah, no, 100%. And and if you're looking at at the way that we are right now versus then, obviously we had the 2018 Farm Bill get passed, which is kind of the first federal move for for cannabis, which just blew the doors open with CBD. Are you hopeful that we're going to have federal legalization in the next five or maybe 10 years? Oh, we're going to have federal legalization this year. This year? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All they got to do is reschedule. That's true. And and Biden, Biden could do it himself if he wanted to. You know, he could he could do a you know what do you call it? executive executive order. order yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he could do that. He could do that right now. But Biden's from the old school, you know, right. and he he doesn't smoke, and he he had bad experiences with his kids getting hooked on crack and all that other stuff, but not pot. But he's from the school where they lump it all together. You know, it's drug, but it'll disappear once they reschedule. And if it's not Biden, it'll be Cory Booker or Kamala Harris, all that. They might conceivably be saving it for an election thing, but I doubt it. I think what's going to happen now, they have to let us bank our money. That's true. Because if they don't, there's a good chance that the cannabis industry might end up with their own banking system, you know, because uh, you keep doing that. That's, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And we can't be putting our money dealing with cash. They they won't even take your taxes in cash. You got to pay with a check or a credit card. So you have a record. So eventually uh, they're going to wise up. And I I feel it's going to be this year. Well, I mean, we had the Safe Banking Act, which which passed the House. Are you you hopeful now that we have a Democratic majority in the Senate? Obviously, you need to have a supermajority to pass the Safe Banking Act. But are you hopeful that that might actually have a chance? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One way or another, one way or another, you know, they might uh, eliminate the filibuster and, you know, just go for the majority. Yeah. I don't know why they don't. I, I mean, I do know why they don't. Big businesses is still controlling so much of the politicians, especially on the on the Republican side. I mean, those guys, you know what they always do? They always blame the Democrats for what they're doing. It's true. <laughs> you know, true. because the Democrats, we've got backers and everything, you know, but not not like the Koch brothers in the industry, you know, the coal industry, those people. Because I coal, guess. you know, oil, they're still huge polluters but it's still you know like you look at what happened to texas during their cold spell that's all coal plants and that kind of thing but eventually um, it's changing and the way the ai the artificial intelligence has moved everything along exponentially you know very fast just like elon musk if you listen to elon musk we're going to be in a really good space within a few years yeah, yeah. I mean, his work on Neuralink is incredible. I mean, I saw, did you see the demonstration? What was it with the pigs or whatever? And they, they were showing their brain waves or something. It was a no, no, yeah, no. It was a couple months ago. Yeah. Elon showed a demonstration in Neuralink. It was the first public demonstration. It, it's incredible technology. I mean, it's going to cure paraplegic. Quadriplegic, it, it, yeah. Yes, yes. There you go. Can you imagine? I mean, you're going to be able to reconstruct the spinal cord. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, it's, it's changing everything and it's changing so fast. Like the cell phone. Look, look at us. I'm using my telephone. I'm like Dick Tracy with my watch. <laughs> you know? And, and well, I'm yeah. using my yeah. 
I mean, this is Star. This is what was it? It was Star Trek technology. I mean, when you're talking yeah. about the '60s and '70s, is the communicators being able to have video chat through through a screen or through a phone? I mean, it's it's incredible, kind of where we're going. Taking a look at the industry of cannabis and taking a look at technology there. I mean, when you first started smoking, obviously a lot of flour, a little bit of hash here and there, but obviously not the crazy stuff that we're seeing today in terms of concentrates. Are, are you surprised by the potency levels and kind of where cannabis technology has taken us? Well, don't forget, now I'm, I'm from Canada, mm -hmm. and we used to get our hash from Nepal, from India, and Pakistan. We, we, it was the easiest thing to smuggle, especially Canada. Weed was a, a, a rare thing, you know, came up from the state, and it was stinky and big bulky we've been smoking hash for my whole uh life time you know and hash is the most potent <laughs> well that's what the the dabs are all about it's basically hash shatters basically hash and it's concentrated and so we've been in in india and nepal and, and afghanistan all that they've been doing that for centuries yeah. centuries the king of nepal had a stamp on the hash. And by the way, you talk about potency. Have you heard of temple balls? You know what temple balls are? Yeah, the rolled balls of hash. Yeah, yeah. No, but you know why they were temp called temple balls? No, no. Why? Okay. When they harvested the hash, the workers would go in there with, with basically almost naked with, with a leather vest covering on it. Because when they would go through the fields, the pollen would stick to their bodies. And then they would go into this little area and they would scrape off the pollen off their bodies. That was a hash. That uh, was the hash. The and the yeah, temple yeah. balls were the stuff that they scraped off the ceiling where they did that. And then they rolled them up into balls. And because the most potent rose to the ceiling. Yeah, and, and when they scraped that off and made little balls out of it, it was for the temple. It was for their, their place of worship. So the priest got the purest of the pure, you see. And I defy anybody to come up with any modern strain or, or <laughs> hybrid or, or sativa or indica or whatever that would match the potency of a temple ball. And that's what we were smoking in Canada. And li listen, you could get a little, you get away with a little chunk of hash, this tiny, and it would knock you on your ass. Cheech one time when we were in, in Paris, <laughs> he was kind of dating Joni Mitchell. <laughs> oh, and, and she appeared at a concert there. And we went to the concert, and uh, Cheech had no way to smoke his hash, and so he ate it. He thought oh, <laughs> he ate it. He, he got he got so stoned, man. We went for dinner after with Joni, and then we we knew the French area, you know. So we went to this brasserie, really nice. <laughs> and Cheech was so stoned he forgot to order food. <laughs> he forgot to eat <laughs> so nothing there's nothing that impresses me growing today that i haven't experienced and well, so I mean, but that's but that's something where people are putting uh you know their true love into it. i mean that's a that's a that's use for for not even not recreational not medicinal i mean that's right use for ceremonial yeah that's that's, that's high quality saying. stuff yeah that's uh, well, what i'm saying and you've traveled all over the world and consumed cannabis everywhere. Obviously, everybody knows Amsterdam. But like when you're talking about the coolest places where somebody could smoke, I mean, eating weed in Paris isn't a bad place, you know, for Cheech. But like, where is the coolest place that you've consumed cannabis? I'm, I'm very curious. Probably 
probably Bali, but it was uh, that whole area. It's a death penalty if you're caught dealing. But I met some friends and uh, I smoked up in Bali, not Japan, although I, w- I was in Japan. And it would be a cool place to smoke, but their laws were, they're, they're more relaxed now. I guess Alaska, I guess Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah, because Alaska is so exotic, so crazy, so extreme. It's the, the last uh, the last wilderness, the great outdoors. I mean, there's nothing, yeah, there's yeah. nothing but wilderness and, for miles. And, and they got some stuff called Thunder F. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alaskan yeah. Thunderfuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I kind of measure my high by what I can remember of that night you know, or that day. <laughs> And I got to tell you, Alaska, I just know that the sun never set and, mm-hmm. and you had to you had to go to sleep when you were tired. And a lot of times that'd be 24 hours later, you know. So, <laughs> so, 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 oh, and oh, Palau, Palau. There, wow. There's Palau, Palau. It's a little island off in the Micronesian off the coast of uh, Guam. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to Guam and then you fly to Palau. And Palau is a Micronesian island. It was... Uh, occupied and uh, by the Japanese during the war. And they still have uh, war uh, battle sink, battle uh, wrecks on that island. They're considered war memorials. But the Peace Corps came through there with John Kennedy, and uh, they introduced the Palauans to pot, which was cool because before that, the Palauans were into beetle, the beetle nut the stuff that makes your mouth all red. So like, a, it's a high. Anyway, it was, it's pretty disgusting. It colors <laughs> your teeth and, and your mouth is all red. In fact, you can tell, you know, these guys were like, almost like outcasts because it was um, like a cocaine high. It's a speed. Stimulant, yeah, yeah. Well, they started smoking and growing pot. They loved it. And so Palauans, they grow two crops every year. One to sell to the uh, American government for a million dollars. They get a million dollars a year to eradicate their pot crop. And the nice. other crop is for them to smoke. And all they do in, in their prison, check, check this out, their prison system is mostly men and you know the various crimes, but they their activity is carving beautiful uh, wood sculptures, like scenery sceneries and Palauan sceneries and that. Nisians are phenomenal wood carvers. And so, uh, and I was a collector. So I, I, I found out that, but the island of Palau is the most exotic. There's like a thousand of these little islands. And uh, I was on, a, we were there, my wife and I, it was kind of like a honeymoon. We're going to go kayaking to this little island off the coast where we were. And I asked him, I said, what's the name of that island? And they said, ah, I don't know. You're Chong, right? I said, yeah. He says, okay, that's Chong Island. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's hey, that's the that's the definite best way to do it is to go to your own island, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, of all the places you smoked, you say Palau being the best. I'm curious, you smoked with so many celebrities, so many top-level people. You you mentioned that I, I believe it was Paul McCartney is your one regret not being able to smoke with him. Two questions here. One, did you ever get to smoke with Paul McCartney after that or not? And two, of the people you have smoked with, what is your favorite memory? Who's the coolest person to smoke? Well, staying with the Beatles, I haven't smoked with Paul yet, but we have people that know each other. You know, we we have mutual friends and he's all for it. 
he's, he's, uh, yeah, 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 Mike, yeah, right. But I used to smoke a lot with George Harris, the other Beatle. And it was kind of an accident. We met at a party out of Malibu, this one hippie uh, party we were at. And, uh, and George and I saw each other. We, we knew each other from, uh, George was on a, one of the Cheech and Chong albums where he played guitar for um, Basketball Jones. He played the introduction. And uh, and so we knew each other, and we just cooled out. We hung out, and while we were smoking, we were joined by uh, Wally from Leave It to Beaver, Tony Dow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tony Dow joined us, nice. and uh, yeah, I was in the same room with John Lennon, and I didn't know he was there. He was John was kind of weird. He was sitting on the floor, so I walked into this bedroom at Lou Adler's house. And uh, there was a big party going on. And I was looking for a place to smoke. And Lou says, well, I used my bedroom. So I went in there and, and, and John was sitting on the floor. <laughs> and I didn't see him. I, I lit up this big old dinky joint. You remember when they were in Mexican weed would get so smelly? Mm. You know, you could smell it for miles away. So I offered a, a toke to John. And John said, no, no, he was uh, dealing with immigration problems. So he's not smoking. And then Rod Stewart walked in the room. <laughs> and he, of course, Rod, Rod went right over to the mirror and started messing with his hair. You know? nice. And so, so I offered Rod, you know, well, he's standing there. I said, Rod, you want to get high? And they go, no, nah, no, nah, thanks, man. And so, so, so then I realized that joint was really stinky. So I put it out and then I walked out of the door and I ran right into Jack Nicholson. Oh, man. Jesus. <laughs> and he had just done a movie called, uh, it was an army movie anyway. <laughs> And uh, there was a scene in the movie. When I watched the movie, of course, I was high. And Jack combed his hair for about 10 minutes in the scene while he's talking. And he had the thinnest little little hair you've ever seen. But he combed it. And, and the way he combed it was fascinating because it looked like, like he had, like he was really doing it. So Jack's standing there looking at me. And I said, Jack. That movie, uh, the first, what was it called? I, anyway, I said, there's a scene where you're just combing your hair. I said, did you improvise that or was that written in the script? And he didn't answer me. He just stared at me. And then he said, excuse me, <laughs> you're in my way. <laughs> and and uh, that really was the last time that I approached any famous actor <laughs> with, with, with a question. Oh my God. I, I, I can't, I, I, I can't believe, but, but that's an incredible session. You're sitting there and you have all these people coming into the bedroom and why yeah. you're, you're just trying to smoke weed. <laughs> oh yeah, my I'm God. trying to get high. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's, that's oh, oh yeah. The, the stones were at the party. I mean, everybody, it was like, um, it was a star studded party. It's so funny because my dad, I brought my dad to the party and I brought a, a friend of mine, yeah, a non, non-celebrity. And my dad, he was in the line to get to get food. But this Mick Jagger was kind of holding up the line. He, <laughs> and I thought my dad was going to tell Mick, come on, move it along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's so great. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully if they legalize uh, cannabis federally here in the United States, that uh, Joe Biden will invite you to a party. That would be a winning ticket. I think there's only one other person who smoked weed at the White House. And I, I want to say that was during Carter's administration, wasn't it? It was Willie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Willie Nelson, yeah. Yeah, Willie and, and, and Jimmy. Yeah. Up, so, on the roof, up, up on the roof of the White House, yeah. You know, yeah. when that happened, you know, all the people in the weed industry said, we're, we're home free, we did it, <laughs> yeah, Jimmy. 
And oh. then, then Reagan came into the picture, and he was like the opposite of Jimmy in so many ways. You know, that's what kills me when these Republicans—they're all, they're all Reagan's the only guy they can refer to that that everybody has a good feeling about him. But I'll ask you about this real quick because I mean, your background is in stand-up comedy. If you were a comedian who's just coming on the scene today, what would you think about what's going on with with comedy? Oh, it's it's incredible. Oh, kidding! It's incredible. There's so much material that <laughs> we're like a dog in a in a, in a boneyard. You know, <laughs> I mean, where do you start? The only problem is with Cheech and Chong. Like we stopped doing comedy. In fact, we canceled a, a whole tour because it's not right time. It's not right. the right time. You know, ninety percent of ninety percent of our audience are Trumpies. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> really? In fact, when we were working back east, I forget where we were. I think it was Long Island somewhere. I did a bit and I got not a boo, but I got I got a real loud boring. <laughs> and it was like uh, we were doing our song, uh, Does Your Mama Know About Me? But a mixed uh, race uh, love affair. And, and I realized, you know, no, no, people aren't ready. No, there's. I think Donald Trump kind of ruined it for the comedians, you know, because he was he was that one bad comedian that wouldn't get off the stage. And instead of being making fun, he went into that area that comedians never go where they, um, you know, I mean, there's certain things you don't talk about on stage, mostly because it's too soon. A comedy material has to age. So the, it's almost like a wine, you know, you have to age in order for people to accept what's going down and then accept our version of it. But when you're in the middle of it, oh, it's just like Gilbert Godfrey when he ruined his career by making <laughs> fun of the Japanese tsunami. And I mean, that's it. Yeah. No yeah. more commercials, no more Gilbert Godfrey on TV. I mean, done. Yeah. You know, yeah, Affleck killed, yeah, Affleck killed his sponsorship, I think, within a couple of days. Yeah. And then, yeah. and same as uh, Kramer on, on the Seinfeld when he went off comedy and, and started bragging on, on black guys that were heckling him. You can't do that. Right. You can't do that. You, I mean, that's the art of comedy. You, you don't, you, you don't go real. And that was the problem with, with Cheech and Chong. I was going too real against Trump. I mean, I had some really good material, like, like for instance, <laughs> when he first started, I really liked Trump, you know, because I like his idea of, of building a mall by the border. I'm old. I thought he said mall. I didn't I didn't think he said mall. Because <laughs> a mall would be perfect. You know, you can stop, get your supplies when you're sneaking across, you know, get some clothes. And then I said, someone said, he said wall. I said, no, only an idiot would build a wall. And that got kind of a, a good response. But now with the capital riots and stuff like that, it's untouchable. You can't go near that stuff. You know, it's too soon. People died. People got hurt. And I got Trumpy friends that we have a rule that we don't talk politics when we're together because they're stone at, at Trumpy lovers. And I had fun with them, though, because I, I said, what don't you like about Biden? They talk, oh, taxes. I says, come on. You guys have got so much money. If you give up 90% of your wealth, you still wouldn't be able to spend the remaining 10% no matter what you buy. So what's the problem? And they had to think about that, but it's not, it's not humor. 
You know what I'm saying? No, 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 for sure. But I, you're, you're hundred percent right though. I mean, it, it, there's a certain sentiment with uh, a particular sect of the country that they focus on the wrong thing. Obviously, if you're making, you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, you're not going to be deeply affected by a five or 10% increase, or at least not in the way that say a middle-class person or, or, or a lower-class person would be affected in the same way. Yeah. Well, the problem, I see the problem and I have the solution, by the way, I've come up with a solution to uh, fix the homeless problem. And oh, you know what it okay. is? What's that? Make a movie of the homeless problem and hire all the homeless people as actors or whatever skill they have. And you pay them. And they have to join unions in order to be in the movie industry. And they have to have a, a wage enough so that they can pay, have a living wage and use them as actors. And if for whatever reason they don't want to be in, in the movie, then they have to leave the area because uh, it's a movie site. And you could do that with the whole city. And you could do that from, and at the end of the day, you got a movie. That's now, true. what movie is it? Well, you got enough, this is Hollywood, man. There's enough writers and movie makers that they can come <laughs> up with something, but that's how you do it. You hire people, you give them a job. And the movie industry is perfect because every, no, there's even a dead person get work in a movie studio, in a movie. <laughs> You know, a paraplegic or someone can't move, you can hire them, you know, they, okay, some, yeah. you're the paraplegic, you're over here, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, oh, and, and, you know, just not even just the actors, but they could also uh, provide, you know, usually uh, for, for, for film or te television for people that live in Los Angeles or another area where they film, they use like off-duty LAPD officers. Now you could also use, uh, you know, yes. just, just hire them for everything, every part of the production. That's right. I'm saying that's what I'm saying. And they have to join the unions. So they'll all be vetted. We won't have any, you know, gang members because they're going to all have what you name numbers, serial, you know, all that stuff, your social security. Oh, you don't have one. Okay. Well, here, fill this out. You're going to, you know, and uh, immigration. Okay. Well, what's your status? Oh, okay. Well then we'll, we'll talk to legal. We'll get you legal. You know, we'll get you a permit to work on the project and, and they have the project go 10, 15 years because that's the way the industry is going now. You know, just like uh, sitcoms, you know, they, you got to be in them for like five years or seven years before you start getting residuals. So that's what you do. You, sh you shoot a, an onboard movie, movies, and check this out. You can make a movie about how a government should be run and then have the countries of the world copy that template. Because so many things in government, in real life, come from the movies. They were inspired by movies. Back in the day, they had, they had a board, a decency board, that you couldn't, people couldn't sleep together unless they were married. And in the, even if they're married, you couldn't show them in the bed together. Nudity was totally forbidden. Killing people was totally forbidden. I watched the show on a cycle. And Hitchcock, because he had to go through the censors, he couldn't show the knife being shoved into Janet Lee or any of that stuff. And so he did it with clever takes, which and it became a, a classic. So there's a, the code of decency. That's what it was called. And so we can use the movie template to create peace and, and prosperity in the world around the planet and that's how you do it sure you're you're gonna have bad guys but you need bad guys in the movie too <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely true and i mean and and you've you know if, if you if you end up doing that that would i would definitely uh be somebody who would love to see you win the nobel peace prize for for uh if you if you're able to pull it off because that would well, be incredible 
Oh, I'm going to pull it off. There's no doubt about it. Because with the Cheech and Chong dispensaria, we're talking billions of dollars there. So as soon as we get it up and running and, and operating properly, the big companies, because that's the other question. Aren't you afraid of big companies coming and taking over? No. Big companies are guys that have the expertise to go big. <laughs> you know that saying, go big or go home? <laughs> well, yeah. All you do, you change it from alcohol to weed. And it's the same same thing. And the only difference is, is that the weed is good for you. And so that's that's not a problem. And that's what the marijuana has inspired me to think of these scenarios, you know. And I can't wait to, to put them in action. <laughs> it, it's starting already. Well, I can't wait to see them in action. I mean, you've did, but you've done a lot, even outside of stand-up, even outside of film. You've done a lot in cannabis, both plant-touching and non. I mean, obviously, you have uh, the dispensaries that you're trying to go for. Um, you've done product collaborations. Like, I know that you did a custom pack of birthdays, the the birthday candles. Um, I know you did a signature series with Rosenbaum and good friends, uh, Patrick, and the guys over there at Futurola, I know you guys, you did some rolling papers with them as well. I'm curious. Yeah. 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 I'm curious when you're, when you're, when you're putting out a, a product, when you're considering, you know, what you want to give to the industry, how do you decide which brands that you eventually want to do a product collaboration or an original product launch with? Well, it's the people that have the, uh, the, the wherewithal to put it all together. I have no problem testing. I, I tested a product one time <laughs> Right at the beginning of this whole uh, weed thing, it was a wipe that businessmen could use to wipe down their clothes <laughs> so they could lose the <laughs> marijuana smell. <laughs> nice. I was even on I was even on TV with that one. I definitely will try everything, anything connected with weed. I got no problem with that at all because I know I, I know I'm I'm promoting a, a healthy uh, substance that's going to change and it has changed the world. So yeah, all that. Yeah, Futurola. Mike Mike Tyson's uh, doing a Futurola uh, roller now. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 At, uh, we're, on ch- my, we're, we're on we're on Mike's show. We we're on Mike's show the other day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the 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 hot box. It was so fun. Mike, <laughs> uh, Mike says oh, he's hugging Cheech and Chong. He says, I know I'm big now. I know I'm big now because I'm with Cheech and Chong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and, that, and that's incredible. I mean, to be able to talk to somebody like who's a Titan, like Mike Tyson, and have him look up to you as a legend, you know, what does that kind of feel like? I mean, to have somebody oh. who's such a prolific person in his own right look to you as a legend. Yeah, one of the one of the biggest compliments I ever got was from Spike Lee. Not in not face to face, but I was at a party and I was in the other room and I could hear Spike in the other room. I heard Spike say, Tommy Chong's here. Tommy Chong, Chichi Chong, he's here. Where, where is he? Where is he? <laughs> to me, that was the biggest compliment I could ever get from anybody. Because when, when I when I first saw Spike in his his first movie, She's Got a Habit, I saw Cheech and Chong in everything he did. He was a funny little guy like Cheech, and and he and he, you know, the way he did it. But I saw the influence, you know, because we influence, we've influenced so many people, and you know what the influence is. It's the influence to be free, to do it, go for it. You've got no, but no reason why you, you can't, and no matter what it is. As long as it's funny, as long as you're not hurting anybody, as long as uh, if you're making fun of yourself or, or your buddies, that's fair game. And it's not mean. It's always, see, that's what that self-depreciating 
humor works because it worked for so many comedians, like Jack Benny. You know, he made a career out of talking how 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 crazy he was and how <laughs> how <laughs> what a miser he was. And we opened that door for everybody, and we opened that door for filmmakers, where they said, "Well, you know, you don't need a whole lot. You just have a good idea." And you know, you know who uh, uh, inspired me was a phone call. It was Terry Malick, Terrence Malick, the great filmmaker. You know, that's done my favorite all-time movie is Badlands. Was uh, oh, yeah. Martin Scorsese? Yeah, Martin yeah. Scorsese. Well, when I saw that movie, I saw it at least fifteen times in a row because it was playing at a club every night that we worked in Paul's Mall in Boston. And I love that movie. To this day, it's my favorite all-time movie. And so I called him up when we started getting our movie career happening. And Terry Malick, he took my call and he said, well, did you wrote this movie? And I said, yeah, you know, with help. And he said, well, then you should direct it. Well, I didn't direct Up in Smoke. I, I directed part of it, but not the whole movie. But it was that kind of, you can do it. You do it. Don't try to get me involved. I got more stuff to do than I can handle, but do it yourself. And I don't know how many people I've told that to. In fact, I, I, I quit a movie one time in, 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 uh, in uh, Rome. Canon Fisher's uh, hired me as a director to do a movie with Lauren, Dre Lauren Dreyfus, Richard Dreyfus' brother. And uh, David, oh, I, I almost had his name. Anyway, there's two guys. They're kind of comedic, you know, like there's two guys being funny. And so I went over there to direct the movie. But I found out then, you know, I, I'm only good at direct Cheech and Chong movies <laughs> yeah, because they just we, we just never clicked as far as uh, their brand of humor. And the only thing I really wanted with a movie was a pretty girl, because that was one rule that I, I've i always had in, in movies. You gotta have some beautiful women in there somewhere doing something. And this movie, it was called Dumb Dicks or something like that. Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> they never had a beautiful woman in the whole movie. And so I fired myself. I said, as a, <laughs> as a director, I'm fired. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I suggested that they direct the movie themselves, which they did. And in Canada Pictures, and I gave the money back. I was, they gave me a half a million or something, and I, I just gave the money back to Canon. And Canon was so shocked that they they, they hired me to do uh, my own movie, but it never happened because we never really got it off the drawing board. But yeah, I don't know anybody who's ever fired themselves, but that's a that's a that's a that's a bold move, sir. Uh, I, I'm curious, are, are you know, you had mentioned a little a little bit uh, a little bit ago, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You've, you've been so generous already. I'm curious, you know, are, are, are you anticipating getting back with Cheech Marin in the future for anything? I know that I think I think at one point you had an animated series you guys were going to look at, but I I'm curious, like, what does the future look like for you guys? Oh, it's very bright, very bright. There's a, a movie being written and it's uh, it's more like a serious, on a serious vein. I was in a movie called The Color of Space and Color of Outer Space. I think Color of Space. It was uh, a Nick Cage starred in it and i had a bit part in it anyway the writers were kind of impressed with my performance and they said oh you could be you can do serious uh serious movies and so they wrote a script and it's being shopped around now i think they're looking for a director oh yeah 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 cheech and i uh well we got the dispensaries together and mm -hmm. we still do you know signing and uh, autographs that, that things together he's going up to do a, a thing with uh 
Don Johnson, Nash Bridges. No, oh, yeah, might re- yeah, they might revive uh, the Nash Bridges thing. That'd, that'd uh, you be know, use his partner. That's that'd be cool. Yeah, I got offered a, a, a part in Nash Bridges. Teach doesn't believe me, but I did, <laughs> and I turned it down. I turned it down because I didn't want to be a cop. <laughs> you know, I you know the funny thing about Nash Bridges, I do remember that when I was when I was a kid, I remember that I'm pretty sure there was one episode where Cheech Marin's mom in the show was a pothead, like just got high incessantly, and they got everybody stoned because she baked for. Nash Bridges and him and then oh, the whole family right. that's and right. got everybody ripped. And I mean, the whole episode was this them dealing with being high. It was hilarious. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Don Don was a big Cheech and Chong fan, Don Johnson, and he did he did offer me the part, but I got at the same time I was being offered uh, that '70s show. Oh yeah, and so so Real. I took that that '70s show uh, in, instead. But no, Cheech is up there doing, uh, he's going to be doing a Nash Bridges episode. And uh, we passed the age where we could be uh, Cheech and Chong, you know, like the old days. And being, when you're older, the humor has to change. It has to change. And uh, the people want to see us more for them to tell us their experiences as opposed to us making them laugh at our experiences now. You know what I mean? We did our time. You know, and 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 now it's time for someone else to come well, along. I I personally believe you guys got many many more years ahead of you uh, to make us laugh. I do have the nostalgia of seeing the old movies, but I'm sure that you've you've got plenty more to give. Uh, well, we, I, pro- we we probably do, but I'd rather spend the rest of my time sitting by my pool and playing with my <laughs> <laughs> playing with my poodle and what I'm going to eat tonight. <laughs> that, that's, that's that's my thing in life. And sitting in there around my house going, I can't believe I got all this. <laughs> well, sir, I really appreciate all your time. I, You are an absolute legend in both the cannabis industry as well as the comedy industry. You have helped push forward not just the idea that cannabis is safe, but the cannabis is good from a medicinal standpoint, from a recreational and being able to relax and being able to really come to terms with who you want to become and who you want to be, you've definitely solidified multiple generations of people. And and for that, I don't know if there is multiple lifetime achievement awards, but you should get every single one of them, sir. I really appreciate everything you've done for the world. Well, thank you. I'm just looking for a, a star on Hollywood Boulevard. That's all. The, the fact that you don't have one already is criminal. The next time I walk down uh, the boulevard, I'm going to, I'm going to write on one of the empty stars, uh, your name. on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll, I'll go for that one. Awesome. Okay, thanks a lot, man. All right, absolutely. Tommy Chong, industry legend. Really appreciate it. Hopefully when COVID is done, we can get together for a smoke, sir. Thank you again so much right. for your time. Let's do it, man. Absolutely, Take care now. sir. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. 
That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.